It is my honor to bring the sermon today. We're going to be in Exodus, start in Exodus 13. So you can flip there. See, uh, there's this guy, uh, Moses, and he's the great grandson of Abraham, who's the, you know, the first guy God called to the promised land. Uh, He had 11 brothers, and his dad loved him the most, so his brothers decided that they were actually going to sell him into slavery uh, in Egypt. Uh, But then God did this miraculous thing where he took that evil and he raised uh, Moses up to the right hand of Pharaoh so that he saved the whole world, and the uh, known world, in the time of, of great famine. It's a crazy story. It involved Joseph reconciling with his brothers and everyone moving to Egypt. Uh, But Joseph reminded them that God was going to bring them out of Egypt and back to the promised land. So he actually made them promise that when you leave, uh, take my bones with you. But they don't leave very quickly. They're actually there for a long time. And they, uh, God blesses them like he said he would. And they multiply and they become great and super numerous. So much so that there's this new Pharaoh that comes to power And he looks out at all these Hebrew people filling his territory, and he's like, this isn't good. If an invader came in, they could join with them and overthrow us. So he decides he's going to put them into slavery, and he's even going to drown their baby boys in the Nile. This guy Moses, he's one of those baby boys. Uh, But his mom tried to save him by putting him uh, in this little boat and sending him down the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter, of all people, finds him there in the reeds of the Nile, and she pulls him out and takes him in. Uh, But one day, Moses ended up accidentally killing this Egyptian guy who was uh, oppressing and abusing this Hebrew. And so he had to flee into the wilderness for his life. Forty years later, uh, God, or Yahweh, because that's, that's his name, uh, appeared to him in a burning bush, and he sent him back to Egypt to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt, Egypt and back into the promised land. Uh, but when Moses goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh isn't having it at all. And so the ten plagues fall upon Egypt one by one, uh, just frogs and gnats and hail and darkness and finally the death, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. And then in this this great act of faith, Israel kills, the households of Israel kill a spotless lamb and they put the blood on their door and they're spared. But Pharaoh isn't. And so finally he drives Israel out of Egypt And uh, the Egyptians actually give the Israelites tons of their stuff on the way out, just as Yahweh predicted. So Israel marches out of Egypt in rank. The problem is that while things have been hard, they're about to get even harder. Because Yahweh starts to lead them in ways that don't make any sense at all. Our passage raises this question. What do you do when you've acted in faith, but your life still doesn't make any sense? Maybe you put all this work into your job over the years, doing it as unto the Lord, and they still just mistreat you. 
Maybe you always wanted to be married and you thought you would be by now. Maybe you got married and you didn't think it would turn out this way. Or you watched a ministry that you poured years of your life into fall apart before your eyes. Or you tried to raise your own kids in a godly way, but then they grew up and things didn't go the way you planned. What do you do when you have faith, but your journey still doesn't make any sense? Our passage speaks to this. We're going to start in uh, Exodus 13, verse 17. Uh, And by the way, when you see the Lord in capital letters, that's a stand-in for the name of God, Yahweh. And so I'm going to read it that way. So let's hear the word of the Lord. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then Yahweh said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, it, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. 
Yahweh said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. When Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Yahweh drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. In the morning watch, Yahweh in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, Yahweh threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians. So the people feared Yahweh and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant, Moses. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Yahweh, everlasting father, I ask that you would do what only you can do. By your spirit, take these words that I prepared from your word and use them to cut and to heal, to comfort, and to grow us to be more like Jesus. I pray this in the name of Jesus, your beloved son. Amen. So our story starts out, Israel packs everything up, including Joseph's bones, and they set out into the wilderness. But there's one problem. They're going the wrong way. Uh, There's a road to the promised land from Egypt. Uh, Everyone knows it. It's called the way of the sea, right up by the Mediterranean. But they don't take that road. Uh, God doesn't even take them northeast at all. They start going south. They're going southeast. That's almost the opposite direction. (laughs) But even still, the Israelites, they trust Moses and follow what he says is Yahweh leading them in a pillar of fire and smoke. But I'm sure that someone was like, dude, this is the wrong way. This isn't the way out of here. You know that, right? And isn't that what life feels like sometimes? You act in faith, thinking you know exactly what God's about to do. He's about to get you that job that he's been preparing you for. 
or he's about to get you that relationship that seems just right, or he's finally about to intervene in that person's life. You can just tell. But then he straight up doesn't do that at all. It can make you wonder if there even is a plan. Because how can there be a plan when we're going the wrong way? I'm sure some Israelites were thinking that. And it didn't get any better for them anytime soon. Because this change of directions turned what would be a quick trip into a long journey. After they journey south, in Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, uh, Yahweh tells Moses, tell Israel to turn back and go camp by the sea. So, so now they're turning around. <laughs> just because Yahweh says he hasn't finished with Pharaoh in Egypt yet. And this just doesn't make any sense. I'm sure many people were thinking, really? We're going to go backwards now? Are you sure you know what you're doing? But it's crazy. Again, Israel follows in faith. God tells them to turn around. And verse 4 just says, and they did so. But the problem isn't just the seemingly senseless directions. It's where they ended up. See, verses 5 through 9 tell us what happens when Pharaoh and his servants see Israel wandering around, looking helpless and confused. Their pride smarts at Israel's defiance, and they decide they should recapture that slave labor that, you know, Egypt could really use about now, more than ever. The passage even says Yahweh planned for this, and he hardened or strengthened Pharaoh's heart to go through with it and to pursue Israel with everything he had. The entire Egyptian chariot force packs up and pursues God's people. And this reveals another problem about this backtracking. It left them stuck and vulnerable. Yahweh put them in the one place in a desert where they would have nowhere to run when Pharaoh's armies came. And sometimes that's what acting in faith leads to, right? You keep trusting God even when things don't make sense. And then instead of freedom, he leads you to a place where you just feel stuck. Or even worse, vulnerable and exposed. It can make you think there is no way this is the plan. That's where Israel was. Verse 10 shows us how they reacted. When they uh, see the sand cloud of Egypt's armies approaching, uh, all their confidence melts and they cry out in panic. In verses 11 and 12, they turn on Moses saying, uh, what, did Egypt not have enough graves for us? So you brought us out here to die in the desert? Look what you've done. Back in Egypt, uh, didn't we tell you to leave us alone so we could just serve the Egyptians? They're thinking, we just followed a crazy man and a weather phenomenon out into the desert to die. It's crazy. They're just like us. You know what I mean? You ever been in a place where you wondered if all this stuff was even real? The other feeling we see here is woundedness. What have you done? They're hurt. Hurt because they feel betrayed. I know more than one person who's felt betrayed by God. Like they trusted in him and he did nothing but make things worse. I thought you had a plan. And that's where Israel is. 
And that's where we can be sometimes too. It feels like there is no way God has a good plan when things are this bad. But just because you can't see the plan doesn't mean there isn't one. Because if God is big enough to be mad at, he's also big enough to have a reason that you don't understand. There's more going on here. Yahweh sees a bigger picture than we do. Uh, First, chapter 13 tells us why Yahweh took them on what felt like the wrong way. In verses 17 to 18, uh, they say that Yahweh led Israel the long way because if they went the short way, they would meet the Philistines. And the threat of a battle with the Philistines would make this ragtag group of ex-slaves turn around and head right back into Egyptian slavery. Funny thing is the ESV says they're uh, dressed for combat, but the word's more like they're marching in rank. The irony is that they're moving like an army, but they are emphatically not ready for fighting. And Yahweh knows it. Their faith isn't mature enough for that. And going the long way, God was protecting their faith. So it looks to them like this pointless delay is actually divine protection. See, uh, Yahweh calls Israel his firstborn son. And here he's being a good dad. And that's what he is to us. When Ashley was pregnant with Isaiah, uh, no one ever told me how many times I'd have to save his life. (laughs) How many times I'd be rushing to catch him as he plummets off the back of the couch. And I, I hold him and he just looks up at me and giggles. He has no idea. He just about smacked his head on the ground. If you've worked with kids at all, you know what I'm talking about. They don't understand. And sometimes they get upset at you. Like, Isaiah cannot understand why I won't let him walk along this brick wall right over a 10-foot drop to concrete. He doesn't get it. But I'm protecting him. This is a reminder to thank God for all the things that don't happen. The world is full of spiritual threats uh, that would ravage our immature faith. And we can't see them all, but Yahweh does. And like a good father, he's working to keep us and to sustain us. We can't comprehend all the threats to our faith, but we can trust the one who does. We may never know this side of heaven. How many frustrating delays of our hopes were actually times when God protected us from what would wreck us. But there's even more going on here. Because uh, there's another thing that we forget is that sometimes our situation isn't mainly about what God's doing to us, but what God's doing through us. Over and over in this passage, God says that he's going to get glory over Pharaoh, and then the Egyptians will know that he is Yahweh. See, Egypt is the superpower of the world, but when they bear down on this frightened group of refugees, uh, Yahweh wipes out their entire army. And who knows how many countless Egyptians came to know that he is Yahweh. They believed in him and will be in eternity because of this one awe-inspiring moment. 
And it's not just the Egyptians either. What I find crazy is that years later, Canaanites in the promised land come to faith in Yahweh because they hear about what happened on this day. See, after Israel finally enters the promised land, the first Canaanite we meet is this woman in the city of Jericho. See, in Joshua 2, these Israelite spies, they sneak into the city. They're trying to figure out its defenses, and they meet this woman, and they speak with her, and she says, we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. She says, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This Canaanite woman came to faith in Yahweh as God over everything because God did the exodus in this way. By the way, that Canaanite woman was Rahab, the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Israelites cry out about what Yahweh was doing to them, but they have no idea what he was doing through them. And how could they know about Rahab? She wasn't even born yet. It helps to remember that at any given moment, uh, God is up to a billion things in your life, and you're really only ever aware of a few. So when your journey doesn't make any sense, Remember, sometimes it's not about what he's doing to you. It's about what he's doing through you. So step forward in faith. God is able to do more with your obedience than you could ever dream. But Yahweh isn't just protecting our faith and using our lives to impact others. He's always working to shepherd our hearts and to grow our immature faith in him. And sometimes he grows our immature faith by not telling us everything. I find it interesting that Yahweh doesn't give Israel all the details of his plan. All Yahweh told Moses was that after they doubled back and camped by the sea, Pharaoh would want to pursue and Yahweh would get glory over Pharaoh again. He doesn't tell them that the most fearsome army in the known world would come in its totality and pin them against the sea, and they'd be fearing for their lives. Yahweh knew they couldn't handle that. If he had pitched that idea to them back in Egypt, (laughs) there's no way they wouldn't say, "Uh, us versus the Egyptian army? Thanks, but no thanks. We're going to stay here in Egypt. Have you ever thought, that it'd be better if God just told you, explained his plans for your life? Like, if he showed his cards, then you could trust him and obey? I know I have. But I'm not so sure. I think of this woman. Uh, she was given this terminal diagnosis of cancer. Her husband left her, and then she wasn't given very long to live. And she wrestled through all this in writing. She had so many questions. But one thing she wrote stuck out to me. I will never forget it. She said that she knew God would answer her questions, that that would help. But it might just start an argument between her and God. And she didn't want to argue with God. She wanted to have communion with him. Knowing God's reasons or knowing the future doesn't do us any good if our hearts aren't ready for it. 
Like Israel, we lack faith and we like comfort. So we need to trust the one who's better than us. God didn't tell Israel everything he was going to do. And when they see the Egyptian army bearing down on them, they don't care about his plan to get glory over Pharaoh. They want out. Uh, They'd rather go back because sometimes slavery is more comfortable than faith. Yahweh doesn't tell them, though, because he intends to grow their faith through this hardship into something beautiful. See, uh, Israel believed Yahweh when Moses first came to them in Exodus 4. But it was a weak and uh, fragile faith, nearly crushed by Pharaoh's cruelty. It grew with each plague that came. But Exodus doesn't even say the phrase that they believed in Yahweh until he split the sea in half so they could pass through and he drowned their pursuers. Only then in Exodus 14, 30 through 31, do we read, thus Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians. So the people feared Yahweh and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant Moses. This is a pattern. Yahweh brings us into situations we wouldn't yet choose for ourselves. And he does it to grow our faith. And the people of Israel will live this pattern out over and over again going forward because it takes time for God to mature our faith and shape us into the people who would willingly embrace the paths he's chosen for us. Because to get there, he leads us through difficult times. Sometimes, even periods when our faith falls apart, like Israel's here. But he does this in order to bring us to a deeper and more beautiful faith in him. There are some people in the world who just radiate the light of Jesus in a special way. I think I've only met two. Uh, One was named Phyllis Masters. I remember seeing her uh, step up to speak several years ago. She was an old woman and unassuming. Uh, I didn't know anything about her story except that she and her uh, deceased husbands were missionaries. Uh, But as soon as she started talking, uh, a tear rolled down my cheek. Because she was just different. She was filled with this gratitude and joy and love. And scripture just flowed from her mouth so naturally with such affection for the Lord. I was amazed. When you meet someone like that, it marks you. What I didn't know is that she became that way because she had to draw near to Jesus after losing her husband to a cannibal tribe they were ministering to in Indonesia called the Yali. The Yali tribe later came to faith. They now celebrate the day her husband first came to them as a day of freedom. God worked through her loss and sorrow. That's what he does. But also in all of that, Phyllis herself became radiant with a joy that could only be forged by God's presence and a grief that she could never have accepted at the start. 
her impact, I can't even imagine it. You see, Yahweh may give us more than we ever bargained for, but he also meets us there to bless us in ways we never imagined. Our father sees a bigger picture and he uses hardships to gradually grow our faith into something beautiful. Like Israel, you know, we want the short trip out of our hardships. But God takes us on a long journey because that's where he grows our faith. His guidance might be confusing, but it's also wise because over time he shepherds our heart towards himself. And that means you can trust him. His ways are hard, but God has to do all this because he loves us so much. You see, it might not feel like it, but uh, there is a plan and it's better than ours. I find it helpful to know that uh, salvation isn't just divine improvisation. To know that Yahweh is executing a definite and detailed plan because, you know, life can feel chaotic, right? It can feel thrown together. And that's why some people say God has to make it up as he goes along. Like he's just one of us doing the best he can with the cards he's been dealt. But no, Yahweh is a master planner. We serve a God who says, I declare the end from the beginning. And I say things that haven't even been done yet. I will accomplish all my plans and fulfill all my purpose. Not one of his purposes fail. It's Isaiah 46.10. He's in charge. He's in control. And that means his word is sure. In fact, it's so certain, he even gives us previews. You know what a preview is, right? Uh, It's like a teaser. Movie makers will show you uh, bits and hints about what uh, the movie is so that you can get excited. They don't show you everything, though it's there, but they, they whet your appetite for what's coming. See, God has been giving us previews of the Exodus for a very long time. We already know they promised to bring them out. Uh, That's why Joseph has Israel carrying his bones as they go out of the promised land. But the previews run so much deeper than this. Uh, It goes back to before the Israelites were even a thing. Uh, Just look at Abraham. He's the first guy God called to the promised land. And the grandfather of the man God would rename Israel And Abraham lived out in Exodus himself. He was in the promised land when a famine came that drove his family to Egypt, just like it did Israel. There, Pharaoh threatened his family line. Then God sent plagues. And Abraham's family was sent away with the riches of Egypt in their backs. That sounded familiar to you? It's a preview. Then Yahweh previews the Exodus again by preparing Moses to lead Israel through it by having him live a little Exodus. Uh, see, our text calls this the, the Red Sea, but the Hebrew name is the Sea of Reeds. Who is Moses? Moses is the guy who was drawn up out of the reeds. 
Moses, uh, not only that, Moses already had to flee Egypt for his life. Uh, and Moses already spent 40 years in the wilderness, like Israel was about to do. Moses already met God at Mount Sinai in fire and smoke, just like Israel's now led by God in a pillar of fire and smoke, and will meet him again at the same mountain in fire and smoke. I could give a lot more previews. Uh, Seriously, ask me about it, please. I will nerd out with you. Uh, But the point is, all these intricate connections are meant to help us remember that history is not left up to chance. It's all under the sovereign hand of our Savior. While our plans can fail, nothing can stop the plans of our God. Even the Egyptian army's cruelty to pursue these unarmed civilians into the depths of the sea is something Yahweh wields for his purpose. This shows that not even the worst intentions of the most powerful tyrant can thwart God's plans. So how much less can the difficulties we face undermine God's good purposes for our lives? The good news is God's plans are better than ours. Israel faltered when they saw Pharaoh's armies bearing down on them because they didn't realize how great the deliverance was that God had planned for them. They thought they were just escaping Egypt. So they freak out when Egypt's armies show up at their doorstep. But when they do, Moses rebukes their unbelief in verses 13 and 14. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I love how when God rebukes our fear, he never follows it up uh, with a warning, but with promises. Like, Promises like, I'll be with you. Or here, the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. Israel's salvation was better than they thought. They only dreamt of being set free from their demonic overlords who drowned their boys in the Nile. They never imagined that Yahweh himself would drown their oppressors in the sea. And that's what we really want, isn't it? We don't just want to get away from evil. We want it to be gone. The words that wound us, the lies that break trust, and the betrayals that won't let our hearts open up, the sicknesses that ravage our bodies, and the deaths that leave us feeling empty, the regrets, the broken relationships that leave scars, the abuse of children. We want it all gone. We want evil to be crushed so we never have to see it again. And that's what the Exodus is all about. See, the Exodus has previews, but it also was a preview. It's where we get the vocabulary of salvation, and it's where we get to see what redemption looks like. See, Pharaoh here acts like a serpent. Ezekiel 29.3 even calls him a dragon because he's like the devil, but he's beaten. 
Exodus previews the defeat of evil that comes through Jesus. See, in Luke 9.30, Jesus calls his death his exodus. It's where he bears our sin and dies as a substitute like the Passover lamb. And it's where he disarms and defeats Satan, sin, and death like Pharaoh's armies were swept away in the sea. And we get to enjoy his victory when we cease our attempts to save ourselves and look in faith to the God who has won salvation for us. And Christ who rose again, we're delivered from slavery to sin and from the fear of death. And we're assured that every trace of evil will be eradicated when he returns to make all things new. And the new creation It'll be placed in this box called former things, and those things will have passed away, never to be seen again. There we'll join Israel and Phyllis and her husband and the Yali tribe. We'll rejoice and we'll feast together, and every tear will be wiped away. With a salvation this great, Can't we trust God in the chaos of life? If you don't know this God, I want to encourage you. Lay hold of him today. His salvation is better than you can dream. If you do know him, hear this. You will not know everywhere he's going to take you. But you don't need to. You only need to ask what in your life is the next step of faith. How is our all-wise, all-good, and sovereign God asking you to trust him today? Then obey. And over time, he will meet you and grow your faith and bless you in ways better than you can imagine. And also, you can come to the table where we feast in faith, Here we bear witness to the fact that Jesus has conquered death. And here he feeds our faith with himself so we can grow up into maturity as the redeemed children of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that we can trust you, that you are a master planner and your plans are better. God, grow our faith. We need you. Work in us through your spirit so that we can be beautiful pictures of your son, Jesus, and your name would be known. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.